Welcome to the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast here on the West Virginia Soccer Association Digital Network. My name is Marcus Cole. Now, before we begin today's show, I wanted to remind you that once you've had a chance to check out our program, make sure you give our podcast a five-star rating and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. That helps you stay up to date on all the latest content from us and helps us get the word out to others and let them know that we're providing valuable information for soccer players, coaches, referees, and parents. On the phone with us is Betsy Butterick, the coach's coach and communication specialist. Betsy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Marcus. It's great to be here. Why don't we go ahead and uh, once you get our audience just a little bit of background about you and your experience with communication. Sure. So I grew up playing all sports. Soccer was actually my first love. I started playing when I was three and I played basketball through college. I played junior college division one, division three, which I know is a very interesting path, but I grew up in the Bay Area of California. Going to Stanford University was my dream. And I thought if I could get admitted, I could try out as a walk-on for their women's basketball program and tried twice, first as a senior in high school and then after my freshman year at junior college. And after two rejection letters, I decided to accept a division one scholarship to a school on the East Coast played there for a year and realized I wanted a lot more from my education. The sports were great, but I wanted a lot more um, in terms of a challenging academic environment. And so I transferred to Division Three Claremont McKenna. And then after graduation, I began working in women's basketball. And I started at Stanford and then went to Seattle and worked in the WNBA with the Seattle Storm and then the University of Washington and then four years at Occidental College Division three, and then three years at UC San Diego Division two, and stepped off the court in 2015 to do the work that I do now full time, which is as an executive coach for coaches of all sports, and then as a communication specialist with athletic departments and teams. So that's what I get to do now. Great. That sounds like quite a journey. <laughs> it has been. Why don't you go ahead and we'll dive into our subject matter today about, uh, you know, you're the coach's coach, so you're teaching uh, coaches about communication. Why don't you tell us about the importance of communication for our soccer coaches and even our soccer players? Sure. And the way I like to think about communication in the context of sport is if you were to listen to or read about championship teams in any sport, the buzzword most often associated with high-performing teams is chemistry. Chemistry is formed through connection, and at the heart of connection is communication. We spend roughly 86% of each day involved in some form of communication, and yet we tend to only be intentional about our communication when we have something important to say. So if you're a coach and you're listening, think about when you might be giving an important pregame talk to your team. Or if you're a student athlete that's listening, you know, when you want to have an important conversation with your coach or, or even with a teammate especially when it comes to difficult conversations for everyone, these are moments when we tend to be more intentional about our communication. If we can bring that same level of intentionality to all of our communications, if we start to become curious about the way that we're communicating through most of our day, we stand to improve by a great deal. And so communication is central to everything that we do. And yet it's something that most of us simply just do. It's kind of on autopilot. So that's how in communication, I mean, it runs through everything. Improving any part of our communication improves every aspect of our lives. 
I've always sat there and thought about communication sort of in the same way that you're, you just described it and came across the realization that sometimes just our communication is just noise. Mm-hmm. Oh, a lot of times. It's interesting. I'll listen to practices with teams, you know, and I'll hear coaches say, talk, talk, we need to talk. And it's like, okay, but what are we saying? And for what purpose? You know, um, there is a lot of noise out there in all sports. And I think especially in soccer, you talk about the importance of communication. You don't have the luxury of timeouts. And so where other sports can pause the game and, and talk about things, communicate about things, that has to happen in real time on the pitch. So unique for that in the aspect of soccer. Now, with this uh, pandemic going on and uh, things being at sort of at a grind or standstill right now, um, obviously we have to, as coaches, do a better job at communicating with our players in maybe different ways than we are normally accustomed to communicating with them. What can we do as coaches to improve for that unknown future for our student athletes? What can we, I mean, what can we do to help them along? Mm -hmm. Important question. And I would say that the shortest, truest answer I can give is to be curious, to ask. There is a trend that I've seen with a lot of coaches of, you know, we're not able to be with our teams in the same way that we're accustomed to. And so there is this felt need to do more. And many teams have been inundated with, you know, calls from coaches and team Zooms and, and a variety of things that, especially given the context that the student athlete might be living in, their home environment could be very different from a space that might be conducive to a lot of communication. So when I say ask, as the coach, take it upon yourself to ask each individual student athlete on your team, what frequency is best for you? What modality is best for you? What um, duration. You know, some people prefer longer chats. Some people love quick hits, five-minute conversations. Some people want to talk every day. Some people want to talk maybe once a week. And as great as Zoom is, and I'm so thankful for the ways that, you know, things like FaceTime and Zoom allow us to connect virtually and visually, by the time you hit your seventh or eighth call during the day, it's like, oh, I don't want to stare at a screen, not your face, you know, but I don't want to stare at a screen for another minute if I don't have to. So, So asking your student athletes about you know, what modality do they, would they prefer text or phone or Zoom? And then maybe you make some decisions for the team as a whole, but simply giving the individuals on your team choices, that's incredibly helpful during this time. So much of the choices that we would like to have, the ability to play our sport when we practice, seeing our teammates and our friends, those choices have been taken away in the interest of national health. So giving individuals choices, even small ones, such as when would you like to talk? And, and what does that look like can be really helpful for student athletes and for coaches as we navigate this time together. I know that there may be some coaches out there that when they hear something along that lines, they're thinking to themselves, you know, if I have to customize everything for every player that I have, that's just so much time and so much work. But the benefits, I think, of doing something like that compared to the time that you're going to spend certainly outweighs any of that time that you're spending putting all this together. Would you agree? I would say that it, it can be time intensive on the forefront, yes. And I think it saves us time on the back end. And what I mean by that is, let's say, instead of having individual conversations, you create a survey monkey or a Google form where you ask general questions around those ideas of modality and duration and frequency. 
so that you get the information about what is best for each of the athletes in your program. And then you take that information and you use it to make strategic decisions. By asking, you have given them choices. And by listening, you've built the relationship. So even though you're not seeing them in the same way that you're used to seeing them, they know that you've been intentional, that you've literally put in the time to be conscious of what's best for them during this time. And that adds so much value to the relationship. So could it be time intensive? This idea of having to customize for every individual as part of a program, it can be. I think it's worth the time invested though. I agree. Now you've provided a, a couple of tips there on becoming a better communicator as a coach. Can you provide us with some more tips? Absolutely. I would say the easiest way to start if you're looking for small shifts that you can do, that anybody can do, whether you're a coach, a parent, a student athlete, to improve your communication, go to YouTube, search my name, Betsy Butterick. There are 30 ACT videos currently there, and ACT stands for Active Communication Technique. All of the videos are two minutes or less, and they're designed to give anybody something that they can do today to improve the way that we communicate and connect with each other. Small shifts like substituting the word and for but. Small shifts like saying hello instead of saying hi. And, and what's the difference and why does it matter? Small shifts like stop shooting on yourself. You know, and I hear coaches all the time say, well, you should do this and you should do this. General rule, don't shoot on yourself and don't shoot on other people. That keeps us in a stuck space. There's small shifts that we can make in our language that allow us to become better communicators in a very short amount of time. So that would be a great place to start if you're looking for, you know, there's 30. So it's like, take a month. This is the month where I'm going to improve my communication. Those are small shifts that you can make. If you're a coach and you're listening, I have a digital course and it's called Winning with Words, Championship Communication for Coaches. It's over a hundred videos. The duration of the videos I believe is just over three and a half hours long. It's divided into 12 modules, everything from how to talk with individual student athletes, how to talk with your team, how to talk about failure and adversity and change your team's relationship with those things, how to talk with parents. You know, how do we work through um, an injured athlete and what are those kinds of conversations look like? So if you're looking for something that's a little more robust to build your skills relative to sport in the area of communication, that digital course is a resource that's available as well. Simply being curious is a great starting place. Listen to the questions that you ask. When you're talking with another person, listen to the conversational turns that are being taken. And what I mean by conversational turns, and I think this is Act 18, if you look it up on YouTube, and it's called Me Too versus More You. Most people, Marcus, when you listen to a conversation, it's people simply competing for time to talk about themselves. And I don't mean that in an egocentric way. It's simply what happens. And we do this the most with people we know the best. So they'll say something, I'll say something about what they said relative to my experience. We do this because we're trying to relate and build relationship. What's interesting is some of the best communicators that I know skip a conversational turn. And what I mean by that is if you told me about um, your favorite soccer game ever, Marcus, instead of me saying, oh my gosh, that's awesome. I had a game similar like that and telling a story, a me too story relative to what you just said, mm -hmm. skipping a conversational turn would mean that instead of telling a me too story, I use my turn to ask an additional question that allows you to tell me more about yourself or your experience. And then the next time it's my turn to talk, I might tell my, my, too, my me too story. What this does is it leaves the person that we're talking with feeling more connected to us when we haven't done any additional work. All we've done has been more intentional about allowing us to tell, allowing them to tell us more about who they are or what they experienced. 
people love to talk about themselves. And you might think, well, I'm, I'm not, you know, egocentric. I don't love to talk about myself. Yes, we do. Listen to any conversation. Our ability to tell stories is our ability to communicate to other people our existence. And we do this through storytelling. We do this through talking. We do this through language. If we don't have words for it, it doesn't exist. And by speaking our experience, by telling our stories, we bring our life into existence, into the worlds of other people. So we love to talk about ourselves. Skip a conversational turn. Ask someone else an additional question in a place that you might have said something relative to you and watch the relationship develop. One thing that I've always tried to instill in my children now that they're older, one's a freshman in college and one is a high school senior this year getting ready to go off to college. Both of them are college athletes. And one thing I tried to instill in them is to be a better communicator, not only necessarily with their teammates, but also being a better communicator to their coach because I wanted them to fight their own battles with their coaches, mm -hmm. you know, when need be. I wanted them to be able to stand up for themselves. I wanted them to be able to communicate any issues, any concerns, any praise, whatever, that type of thing. What are some tips that players um, can use to be a better communicator with their coaches? Great question. And I'll say as a, a former college coach, I appreciate this question because it is so much more beneficial for the relationship, the coach-player relationship, when we can have direct communication with our athletes. So there's often situations, especially at the high school level, but we see it at the college level as well, where a student athlete will say something to a parent and then a parent will say, well, I'm gonna call the coach or even worse, they don't tell their student athlete that they're going to call the coach and they just do it. So parents oftentimes think that they are doing their student athlete a service by intervening on their behalf. Long-term, it's a disservice in a similar way that you mentioned, Marcus, because they need to be able to have those conversations directly with their coach. So as a parent, if you're listening, whenever you hear your student athlete say something and it sounds like they've got an issue, being responsible to say, it sounds like this is something important to you that you should talk about with your coach. When are you gonna have that conversation? And if I took out the word should there, instead of you should talk with your coach, it sounds like this is something that it would benefit you to have a conversation with your coach about. When are you gonna talk with your coach? How can I support you in having this conversation? So whether you do a mock conversation with them where they get to maybe work out some of their fear and anxiety or hesitancy before they have that conversation, the sooner student athletes can build skills where they can address their their coach directly and maybe it's via email you know um my rule of thumb is if it's important whenever possible make it a face-to-face -face conversation and knowing the landscape that we're in currently you know doing it face-to-face -face via technology is the next best thing never have an important conversation over text it's simply a medium that doesn't allow for the greatest amount of expression you know thankfully we have bitmojis and emojis and gifs but we're lacking tonality we're lacking the visual cues of micro expressions and facial expressions. So we're missing a lot of information. And that's why I say when it's important conversation, try to have it face to face because we need all of that information in order to navigate the conversation successfully. But being able to have a direct conversation with your coach about anything, whether it's playing time or a concern that you have, a question that you have, building that relationship through clear, direct, honest communication enables the student athlete to develop in a way that wouldn't be possible if they were having that conversation through a third party. 
and it allows the relationship to foster and develop in a way that builds trust and enables the the individual, but more so the team, to start to achieve a higher level of success long term. With everything that we've been going through over the last few months, um, obviously things are going to change uh, going forward. What are I mean? What's some piece of pieces of advice that you would give to people of how we can grow that communication level during this time? What can you know? What can we do? I think being responsible for owning what we don't know. And this is, a, I know, a current challenge for coaches is how do we look back at the people that are looking to us for leadership and, and give them answers to the questions that they have? Like, when are we going to get sports back? What's that going to look like? When can I see my teammates again? We don't know this information. And I think as leaders, as coaches, it's often a challenging situation for us because we feel responsible to provide guidance, to provide that path forward. It's something we simply don't have at this time and that we won't have until the road emerges before us. So being able to look to the members of our team and say, I don't know, and this is difficult, and this is challenging and frustrating, and, and to name all of the emotions that are present to allow your student athletes to speak to what's true for them, to walk through this time together, for me, that's leadership in this time, is not to to point the way and say, come with me, but to sit beside our student athletes in this uncertainty and navigate this landscape together and to reassure them that while we don't know, we will find out together. We will be present in all of this in a way that, that retains our integrity as a program and as individuals. And I think that's important, too, that you bring up. It's a pet peeve of mine when somebody will is uncomfortable with saying, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's sometimes when you hear the word, I don't know, sometimes um, it's a, it's a cop out because they don't either want to give the answer or whatever. Like sometimes with my children, well, why did you do that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, But at the same time, you get somebody, it's okay to say, I, I don't know. But yes. I, you know, however, I can go find out and try to find out an answer uh, to that. I think that's important. Right. And that was, I'll say that's one of the the best pieces of communication advice I got early in my career. I was at the women's basketball final four. I was sitting in on a round table presented by an assistant coach who'd been an assistant for 12 years. And she said one for all of those, all those of you that are in the room that are new, she said, the number one thing you have to get comfortable saying as an assistant is I don't know, but I'll find out. And I think that we do our student athletes currently a disservice if we say that we do know because while we might know today it's likely that what we know today will change next week it's certainly going to change next month as this pandemic evolves and as we learn more information from our health organizations but also from our governing bodies of sport about what the future looks like so to tell them something we know this that could definitely change and if that changes in a way well but coach you said you know we could be setting ourselves up for future failure unintentionally so it's truly important to be able to own the fact that we don't know and to have that be okay and then take it a step further and explore in this unknown what's true for you you know what feelings come up for you when i say i don't know about when you're going to get sports back i don't know if we're going to have a season this fall talk to me about about what that brings up for you when I say those things. Having those discussions, I think, is one of the most connective pieces that we can do during this time. Feedback, obviously, is a, uh, a constant in regards to communication, whether you want it or not. Um, talk to us a little bit about feedback, positive and negative. Sure. 
there's a general rule when it comes to feedback. And I think this is one of the things that is most challenging for an individual to do in the moment. And yet the most important thing that we can possibly do when we receive feedback, positive or negative, and that is make your first response some form of acknowledgement. Thank you. It, obviously, it's easier to do if it's positive feedback, but even if it's critical feedback, start with gratitude, start with acknowledgement. Thank you for your opinion. Thank you for voicing your thoughts, whatever it happens to be, so that we create an environment where we are open to receiving what individuals have to say. You can decide later what you do with the feedback. You don't have to like the feedback. You don't have to act upon the feedback. But keeping that line of communication open to receive the feedback signals to others that you are a person for whom individual growth is important, and also that you've provided space to make the other person feel heard. And again, you don't have to agree in order to make someone feel like you've heard them. And I think that's a really important distinction to mention. One thing that I want to touch on that is a, a common misconception around feedback is the sandwich method of positive, negative, positive, right? Mm -hmm. What happens when we sandwich the negative criticism in the middle, when we lead with positive, we're sort of, um, I call it the free hugs tunnel. You know, you see this dark, <laughs> scary tunnel. It says free hugs on the outside. It's like you've put them in the free hugs tunnel where you said, oh, Marcus, you're great. I love your podcast. You're doing such a phenomenal job. So now you're like, oh, thanks, Betsy. That's wonderful. And then I hit you with the negative. And it's like, but wait, what? And then I come back and I support with the positive. So the next time you and I are having a conversation and I give you a compliment, you're going to be waiting for the other shoe to drop. So even though, it, again, great intention, poor execution when we use the sandwich method, because then what it conditions the other person to do is to be less receptive or more suspicious of our positive feedback because they've experienced that sandwich before and they're waiting for the negative that's coming. An easier way to deliver negative feedback, especially, is to, to let them know it's coming, saying, hey, Marcus, there's something that I want to talk with you about. And it's important that I that I share this with you because I value our relationship. I really love your podcast. I want it to be extremely successful. And so I need to tell you something that may be difficult to hear. Now you've set them up to receive. You're saying, okay, you know, like put your protective gear on. This is going to be a little tough. And you've articulated why it's important because I value our relationship. I want your podcast to be successful. So small shifts, again, that we can make in our communication that allow people to be more open to hearing something that may be difficult for them to hear, but is necessary for their growth and development. You know, you bring up such a great point about uh, not necessarily acting upon that feedback right in the moment, because I know from past experience when I've heard uh, feedback that wasn't extremely positive, obviously your first thought is go into defense mode and defend yourself in that situation sure. or whatever. But then after a while, I'll sit there and think about it and I'll be a lot more rational. I'll be a lot more thoughtful. And then at some point I can say, okay, I see what that person is saying. Um, and, and it's really just funny how I didn't want to hear it right there mm -hmm. in that moment. But <laughs> later on when I kind of thought about it, it, it made a lot of sense. It, it might not have made 100% sense but there might have mm -hmm. been 33% of what they were saying. And then I can take from that and implement it however I want. And I think that's the key is implementing it however I want to implement it. Absolutely. And there's a question I love in, in the coaching work that I do with individuals. And this you can use as a self-reflection, whether you're a parent or a coach or a referee, 
is to ask yourself the question, what am I pretending not to know? Mm. And I love that question because it asks us to take a hard look inside and, and to acknowledge some of what you just mar- mentioned, Marcus, about, you know, ah, there is some, I didn't really want to hear it or admit it, but there is some truth to the feedback that I received. On the flip side, I've had, you know, parents, especially at some point say to clients that I've worked with, it, it, I have had it happen less in my own personal experience, but where a parent will come up and let's say their kid didn't play a game and, and they're, you know, emotional and maybe a little bit irrational and they just let coach have it. And they tell coach why they think their son or daughter should have played to have a coach say in that instance, thank you for telling me your opinion or thank you for getting that off your chest. So again, we're acknowledging, like, thank you for speaking your mind. We're not saying I'll take that into consideration. We're not saying I'm going to change. We're simply acknowledging that we've heard the other person. And that does so much for, for keeping that door open to relationship, even at a time when other people have been maybe less than cordial to us in the moment. I, th- I think you bring up another great point, and that is self-awareness. That's a big word mm-hmm. with me. Huge. Um, Huge. It's just I, I, I wish us as a society had more self-awareness. I know that there is a lot of things. I mean, there actually, to be honest, 99% of things I don't know and I'm not good at. <laughs> you know, but there there's a handful of things that I'm really good at, and I'm aware of that, and I don't try to come off to pretend that I know everything. And I just think that self-awareness component, um, you know, I I wish we could focus more on that. Mm -hmm. And we can. And you asked earlier, Marcus, what can we do during this time to better prepare for an unknown future? Developing your self-awareness in any capacity, because it benefits us, again, in all areas of our life, just like communication. The more aware we are of what's true, for us, of the way that we are showing up or coming across, how we're communicating, um, you know, what thought patterns are we falling into, thinking traps. If you want to go down the, the rabbit hole there, Google thinking traps. And there's, I mean, five or six major ones that are uh, common parts of, of cognitive psychology. But there's absolutely, you know, a one size fits all. You can find a thinking trap that you likely have that you may not be currently aware of and changing our awareness around our thought patterns. And especially during this time, how are we thinking about this time? Because how we think about this time greatly influences the actions that we take or don't take, the behaviors that we exhibit, which we know based on our actions and behaviors, we're going to create different outcomes for our future selves. So it starts with our thoughts. And if you want to become more aware of your thoughts, doing something as simple as, you know, a a self-reflection journal, asking a few simple questions of how do I feel today in my body? You know, what are thoughts that are on my mind right now? Um, Even taking what I call the mindful minute and taking 10 seconds or so to use your five senses, you know, in my current environment, what is it that I can see? And just becoming aware of all the different things that I can see in my field of view right now. What smells are currently in my environment? Is there anything that I can taste? You know, I've got a little leftover coffee mouth going on right now because it's still morning here in San Diego. You know, um, and involving like my feet on the floor. What do my feet feel like inside my shoes on the floor? What does it feel like to sit in my chair and have my back pressed against the back of the chair? So engaging our five senses to ground ourselves in the moment to start to develop a greater awareness of what it's like to be us in our lives. That's incredibly beneficial for athletes, for coaches, for for people. That's a great thought. As we wrap things up, Betsy, uh, one final thing I want to talk to you about is tone. And obviously you brought this Mm. up earlier as far as uh, texting. Obviously there's no uh, room for tone in a text or even an email. 
Uh, talk to us a little bit about the importance of tone in communication. So important. <laughs> and I, I, I see this happen all the time. Again, the gap between intention and impact. You can say absolutely the right words. And if they're said in a tone that doesn't match the intention of your words, it doesn't matter what you've said because all people have heard is the tone. And there's that classic study from the 70s back at UCLA that divided effective communication into three parts, three percentages, and they were words, tone, and body language. And the numbers that came back, and the data has been disputed over time, but the general theory has held true. In terms of 100% of how our message is received, 7% is from the words that we say, 38% is from our tonality, and 55% is body language. And of that 55, half of that body language comes from our shoulders up. So tone plays a huge role in how our message is received. And there's an activity that I'll do with student athletes. And actually we can do it right now, Marcus, if you're game to play a very short game about tone. Sure. Okay. So this is a game called O. How many letters are in the word O? One. One. Let's try O-H. If I said it was spelled O-H, how many letters would be in the word O? Two. Okay. So short little word. The only word that you're going to say in this game, Marcus, is O, but I want you to say it in a tone that matches the word that I say, okay? Okay. Surprise. Oh. Disappointment. Oh. Shock. <gasps> oh. Slow understanding. Oh. And we'll stop right there. So you can see just in those four <laughs> examples, the way that we say something, the tone that we ascribe to it, dramatically changes the meaning of the same word. Right. And that's a little word. So it it matters. I mean, to say tone matters is the understatement. Tone does so much to convey to somebody what we mean, regardless of what we say. And you'll often hear people say, well, I didn't say that. It's not that you didn't say that. It's that they didn't hear that. What they heard has to do with your tone. They missed your message because your tone was speaking so loudly that it drowned your words out. That's a great point. I, that's one thing that I struggled with. I'm originally from New England, and where I'm from, we were very brutally honest. We were very mm -hmm. blunt. Um, we said what was on our mind, didn't think of the consequences of it. Mm -hmm. And then I moved to West Virginia, where that's not the case down here. And mm -hmm. people are a lot more friendly. People are a lot more, you know, somebody would walk on the street. Hey, buddy, how you doing? I'd be like, well, mm -hmm. what is that person talking to me for? I don't know who <laughs> that person is. That was one of the biggest things. And, and, and it's so funny that you say the percentages of words, tone, and body language. You know, the body language was horrible. And I had to learn how to adapt mm. that. And, and mm -hmm. especially the tone. Oh, my word, the tone. Uh, had to really work on that. I've gotten better. I'm not 100% there. I don't know if I'll ever be at 100%, but I'm so much better than when I came here 20 years ago. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, and this is something that, that anyone can do. So especially during this time when we're doing a lot of virtual communications, put headphones in so that you can't hear what the person that you're talking to is saying for privacy reasons, but then record yourself on your phone the next time you're on a Zoom call or a video chat. And then play it back and listen to your tone. So if you only listen to your tone, is your tone saying exactly what you meant? And I'll do this with coaches sometimes where I'll, you know, we'll record practice and then I'll have them listen without the visuals. And then flip it if we're working on body language, I'll have them watch with the sound off. 
and then I'll ask, what's your body saying? You know, I know what you said in practice. You know what you said. But what's your body saying right now? If this is all you have to go on, what message are you communicating? So this is something anyone can work on, especially during this time, because we're doing so many non-in-person communications. Record yourself and then play it back and be curious about what you find. My body language right now is portraying scared. <laughs> you're like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just taking that self-awareness of what I look like yeah. or what I sound like uh, in that in that situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. Well, Betsy, I, I certainly uh, appreciate you coming on our show today. Uh, before we go, obviously, you are a wonderful follow on Twitter. We follow her here with the West Virginia Soccer Association. Where can people find out more about you and where can they find you on social media? Sure. You can find out more about me at BetsyButterick.com, and you can link to all of my social media through the website. There's also a contact form on the website if you want to get in touch with me. On Twitter, it's at Betsy Butterick. On Instagram, it's Betsy underscore the coach's coach. And then on YouTube, if you search Betsy Butterick, you can have access to all of those ACT videos, the active communication techniques, in addition to some of the webinars that I've delivered, the podcasts and video chats that I've been on specifically since March 12th. The day sports stopped as resources for student athletes, athletic directors, and coaches about how we can best support our teams during this time. And talk to us a little bit about that uh, program that you have on your website that folks can sign up for. Yep. So the Winning with Words Championship Communication for Coaches digital course is specifically designed for college and high school sports or college and high school coaches. It is not sports specific. And that's one of the things that I love about communication. Communication is not gender specific, sports specific. Are there words or phrases that we would use depending on who we're coaching and what sport we're coaching? Absolutely. But the content of the course is geared around best practices from a lifetime of coaching and and communicating with others and the work that I do. In lieu of writing a book, I created a course so that I can continue to add to it, knowing that best practices may shift or change, especially with Generation Z. The student athletes that we're coaching today are different from any athletes that have come before them because of their relationship with technology and being raised in a digital age. So if you're interested as a coach at the high school or college level, check out Winning With Words Championship Communication for Coaches. Everything's there. The best practices, the tools that I would teach if I was to visit you or your program in person are all there for you to go through at your own pace. In addition, there's worksheets that you can print off and use specifically with yourself or your team, talking about that awareness piece, Marcus. Mm -hmm. And then there's also additional resources. So if you find a particular area of focus interesting, you can do a deeper dive through articles, through TED Talks, through podcasts, and then get some additional development that's specific to your areas of interest through the course as well. Betsy, thank you so much for coming on our program today and uh, and uh, giving uh, people some wonderful information that they can use. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I wish you good health and safety as we navigate this unknown future together, and I look forward to the day that we can all safely return to sport. Me too. Thank you so much for listening to the West Virginia Soccer Association Beyond the Pitch podcast here on the West Virginia Soccer Association Digital Network. Now that you've heard our show, make sure you give our podcast a five-star rating and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode, so we hope to see you next week. Take care.